Um, with Kyle, it's just sort of. <laughs> it, it was so interesting hearing him talk about like, you know, bitching about America and economics from the perspective of middle class kid who now very much respects and values people who do actual work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And then me coming from the perspective of like working class kid who now gets to be an artist and really has an attitude of you can't be an artist and say everyone should be bricklayers. I am so happy that I don't have to be a bricklayer. Yeah. Yeah. That I need to respect everyone's beauty and everyone's journey. Um, but it, like it is so weird and funny to me that like Kyle is more relatable to so much more relatable to the people I grew up with. Yeah. Than I am. Well, he's, he, he is in a sense, uh, 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 kind of plays the role of spokesman, yeah. In a way, for that, that's why they said it always kind of devolves into artist guilt because there's this idea, and I, I and I've have been wanting to push him on this, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Where he glorifies that middle class kind of working class upbringing, yeah. And those people, since they are the majority of America, there's something strangely Republican about it. In a, in a sort of a way. So I've always wanted to kind of push him on that, like, because he always, he always talks about what we do as if it is unnecessary. Yeah. You know, that's his joke. If we, at the end of the world, it's going to be like, can you build a house? Now I can tell some, some dick jokes. Dude, I learned to build a house, okay? <laughs> I, I had that figured out by 20. This is what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I should more frequently just be happy that, I don't have to do that. Sometimes I do get giddy about like, I thought my job was going to involve like me sweating and being dirty every day. Okay. I thought I was never going to get to touch a guy's penis. Like so many, like everybody loves shitting on our frivolous little world. And like, I'm just so thrilled to be in our frivolous little world. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I hear about these comics who have like the deep loving relationship with their hometown, love going back to this place. Like Louis Katz was talking about, Nate Bargatze, who I, I don't know, but just sort of like him, you know, having this, this really deep relationship with mm -hmm. the, the place that he's from. And I'm always terribly envious of that. Right. But also, I'm sort of like, you need to understand that as a privilege that not everybody gets. I don't get that. Like, right, right, right. My hometown newspaper is never going to do an article about, hey, look at guy, he's on TV. Right, right. Because... It would be like a political issue. What's but, your What's your hometown? Where'd you grow up? I am from a small town in rural Northern California, about an hour north of Sacramento. It's um, one third people who came during the Dust Bowl, like so Arkansas, Oklahoma. That's what both of my parents are. Right. Those sorts of people. Everyone works construction. Third Mexicans. A factory of, town in a sort of a way. Yes, with no factories. Like the the fact <laughs> factory town with no factories. Okay. Uh, we have we have like a, all of our factories are for agricultural products, so they work four months out of the year. Like, my mm. grandma worked in the prune dryer. Like, um, my grandparents worked picking fruit. They were migrant laborers until they finally settled. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And then one-third um, Sikh Punjabis who came in, like, after World War II because agriculturally it's just the same as Punjab. So it's crazy. I always have, like... I grew up with so many fucking saris around me like that. Pe and when people think of Indians, they think of your parents are doctors or engineers. They think about like right. Aparna. 
Um, <laughs> they think about a porn. Okay. Yes. And like, I have this very different experience of like, to me, Indians are six guys sitting around a fire in the middle of an orchard drinking Jack Daniels out of the bottle or like people who drive tractors as transportation. Well, it's a direct, you had a direct experience as opposed to an indirect association. Right. And, and it was, and it was very specific and I always, it's stupid and kind of objectifying the way I try to make it clear to people to in, like when I have, when I know someone who is Indian, I always am like trying to find that way of saying, look, like something vaguely related to you means a lot to me is like part of me, <laughs> like being able to, I get very excited when I find out that anybody is, is Punjabi because it's like, I can say a couple of sentences in your language and like, you know, you are something to me. Like it may not make sense, but like, like seek names make me feel comfortable they make me hmm. feel like i'm a little bit at home well let me ask is there some sort of uh because I, I i'm seeing a correlation between that and what you were talking about with nate and kyle kind of idealizing their their places yes because what is that there's some old saying about um irish writers or something like people like samuel beckett and uh james joyce and a lot of the great irish um playwrights and novelists and stuff like that wrote about Ireland in this really amazing, beautiful, romantic way after they left it. Yeah. They left it and then they were like, oh man, that place was so great. I need to relive it through my words. But they, in a way, get to play God. <laughs> yes. Because now they get to decide how it went instead of how it actually went. So there's something like symbolic in that because you're saying like you see this, like that reminds me of this part of myself right well art is always like super dickish like art is about <laughs> wait wait i i like that art is always super dickish guy branham it's always you saying what the sunflower looks like it's always you deciding like what parts of your the way your mom talks are the most important like it's it's you stabbing into reality and and saying oh like this is my perspective Emily Heller once said that stand-up was the most diverse art form she'd ever participated in, and I'd never thought about it that way, but, like, it really is... There's something awesome about the fact that everybody gets up and, like, they're in charge, and whoever they are, like, they're defining what the world is for those 10 minutes. The only other thing I can think of that's similar, and I forgot about this because I was trying to write jokes about this, is uh, karaoke, where it's just, like, when you go to karaoke... Maybe maybe it's my own personal experience. I, uh, my my associations are always shattered by the people who get up and what it is that they decide to sing. Yeah, I'm always like, if I saw, I remember I'm thinking of this one guy I saw. I remember thinking, wow, like if I saw him like in, a, in like a dark street, I would cross the street. Yeah, he's a scary looking motherfucker. I do not want to run in that guy in a damn alleyway. Then he got up and sang like a Sam Cooke mm -hmm. or something. I'm like. <gasps> Oh my God, Teardrops Tattoos McGillicuddy has something inside of him <laughs> that needs to get out. And it's like, wow, this, that's a totally, that is not what I thought that guy was. He's got a, a sensitive side, and maybe karaoke is the only place that he gets to do this. There's always something very exciting, but also just reminds us how easily we judge people. Like when you find out, um, like, someone is a nerd or when you when you find out somebody's musical taste basically it just comes down to being racist um <laughs> one time for you uh, for you yes. probably for me too um 
you know, like I was working uh, a construction job in college and there was this, you know, a, California, a lot of Mexican guys. And there was this one mm -hmm. um, Mexican Mason and he started talking about Patsy Cline and it had just never crossed my mind that this and really country music is so closely associated with Mexican music, but it was like, oh, God, he, this is a thing that we have in common. Right, uh, right. Like, um, that's so lovely. Or one time when I was working at G4, I dropped in a reference to a sci-fi author, uh, a the only decent black female sci-fi author. Who's that? Um, God, what's her name? I can't even I don't even know who you're talking about. She wrote a really, really good book about a woman who gets transported back in time to like she is a slave in Maryland. Like it's she is one of her ancestors in Maryland and she has to have she has to get her She basically quantum leaps into an ancestor's body. Yes. But the thing is she has to get her great great grandfather who is white to have sex with her great great grandmother who is a slave. Um so that she can exist. And it's Jesus a, a, Christ, that's incredible. It's a terribly brutal book because, and at the end of it, it's so fucking awesome. When she leaps back the last time, her arm is stuck in a wall, and you have to cut off. She has to cut off her arm. And in L.A. in the seventies, where she's living, she's married to a white guy. He gets transported back with her once, and then they come back, and like they can never. They're never as close again because he lived on one side of that line and she lived on the other. But at the end, when she loses her arm, just this notion of like, you fucking lose a chunk of yourself to that. Like, you don't get to be. It, Jesus. I'm telling you this. I've um, never I've never heard of this before. And it's incredible. It's well, uh, but the thing, I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of it. But what was cool about it was like I dropped this reference, not even thinking about it. And one of our makeup ladies who's like. She was black, but in my head, she's a makeup lady, you know? Okay. She was you didn't just... think of her in a, in a racial way, is what you're saying. Well, no, no, no. You always think of people in a racial way. But to me, sort of like dominant things about her was just sort of like, you know, we talk about reality shows mm -hmm. and this and that. She was so fucking excited, and she loved that book. And it was just like, when you find nerddom in someone you don't expect. Okay, yeah. Um, Breaks your associations. It, yeah, and it just sort of, it reminds you like, We've all been participating in the same culture the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there, <laughs> there are the weird ways that, like, as a member of, of a group, your group sometimes, like, attaches to something that, like, not everybody else is into. And, mm -hmm. like, that's exciting. But remembering, like, we all have associations with all of these things. And just because you look at someone and they are big and scary or whatever, doesn't mm -hmm. mean mm -hmm. that they don't deeply love the Spice Girls. This beautifully ties into, I think, what our subject is going to be, identity. Um, when we spoke, yes. you uh, obviously you're wrapped up in this, which, which is also one of the reasons I enjoy um, your stand-up. Because you always you always tackle this in some way, even if you don't mean to, and I know that you mean to, but it it always comes out because that's the filter with which you see things. I feel deeply self conscious about it because I feel like self conscious about what about talking about um, identity. I feel like <clears throat> there is this notion of like, why do you have to talk about gay so much? Like, why can't you just be a person, dude? I I get that I get that about race, obviously. I feel like okay. I talked to Kogan about this as well because she doesn't. I remember her telling me something that uh, just about like going to Provincetown, I think it was, mm -hmm. and doing some rooms and and just you know, and she she talks about being gay to an extent, mm -hmm. um, but it was like the only. It sounded exactly like if I went to a black room that expected yeah. 
nothing but like this style of comedy. Yes. And I was like, okay, I can do that and I enjoy that, but that's not really where I traffic in the majority of. So she went up there and she was talking about like uh, an audience where she didn't really, they just didn't understand why she wasn't always talking about her gayness. And anytime she she deviated from some completely different situation, they're like, whoa, 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 what's this have to do with being gay? They would like turn on her like reaction wise. One of the weirdest things I ever experienced was one of the first gay rooms I did in Uh San Francisco. Um, I, so like San Francisco is one of the rare places where there is kind of a gay comedy scene. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went to this show and a guy got up and he did like, oh, gay people are like this. Like he was doing this sort of like, was he straight? No, he was gay. He was doing his sort of like, we're so sassy. We are so sophisticated. Okay. We are so stylish. Cheerleading. And I was like, this is weird. Why are you, like, we, you're talking to us. Like, why are we redefining ourselves in, in front of ourselves? Like, this is weird. Why are you participating in this, like, weird caricature of who we are? Like, this is the only time when you get to tell a joke that name drops a brand of lube and the people who you're talking to understand the specifics of that. Okay. Who understand what <laughs> boy butter feels like as opposed to gun oil. Okay. And like... I don't even know what either of those are. I know what yes, boy butter is. Yes, it's not a joke for you. Like, I, I know what it is. I've seen it in stores. <laughs> and there is something wonderful about... You say gun oil? Gun oil, yes. <sighs> That's a horrible name. I've got some in the other room. That's, they they do very good work. <laughs> um, and there was... It was... It was very interesting because I think that everyone's presumption of I feel like we've got this thing where like there are ethnic comics who do impressions of their moms and then there are ethnic comics who never in any way reference the race that they are right. because they're terrified of it. Um <laughs> and I feel like we're with um I feel like only black comics have been able to like like you guys have some really awesome people um like you. Who, who become like esteemed as amazing comedians regardless of their race. Yes, and, and, but are still able to talk about it because I feel like there's something – like I don't want white guys to be able to tell me what comedy is. I don't want, I don't want me to have to slice off being able to talk about stuff that affects me mm. just because when people hear it, they're going to think, oh, he's talking about gay. The thing is, is when I talk about a dude, I'm talking about gay. When mm-hmm. I talk about my mom, I'm talking about gay because I can't fucking get away from it. And since we have the option of hiding it, there is this terrible thing of, like, people who are closeted or people who are just, like, scared of talking about it. Mm. And and I don't want that fear to, like, define me. Mm. I – there are people who will hear me do what I do and think I am one of those terrible gay comics who just say gay guys are like this. Okay. Um, Because they're going to associate – they're going to assume that no matter what you say. Because – all they're fucking hearing is gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like... That was the beginning of my stand-up. It's like, all you're going to hear is blackity-black. Yes. Regardless of what I say. Okay. One of the magical things I got out of starting in San Francisco was you also have a really, really vital black comedy scene in yeah, Oakland. Oakland, yeah. And it was wonderful to go over there as me because, like, I, I didn't do it for probably like six or nine months just because i was terrified okay. of like, you get cred by the way yeah. my friend elon used to say you know you get crazy white boy credit right away if you go up in the black room well the, the best thing that i was ever told is your company and understanding that and understanding what that meant for 
me being respectful of this room, mm-hmm. um, but also of the way I was being treated. They were nicer to me than they were to the black comedians. Mm. Um, though there was one time when I got up and a woman just stood up and said, get off the stage, get off the stage the entire time I was performing. But like, that's good experience. <laughs> uh, did everyone agree with her? Um, no, no, no. They, they thought I was adorable. They thought I was adorable. And then one time I got off stage and they thought it was hilarious. Look at this gigantic white guy talking about taking dicks in the ass. Um, and I got off stage and uh, a black female comedian in, in San Francisco in the early 2000s, we had three black lesbian lawyer comedians. Um, and it was one of them. And she was like, I wish I could do that. Um, and I was like, what? And she was like, you know, come out to them. And I was like, ah, you're Julia Jackson. Like, you talk about being gay all the time. You ju- you just did three minutes about taking your cat to the vet. Like, <laughs> um, and it, I had never realized that she didn't come out to black audiences because mm. in realizing, like, that's too close to home, like, that would be weird for them. Like, right. they would not, like, because I was a distanced thing, it was okay to take. It was, um, you were other. Me. Yes. And there's they can accept you, crazy white boy. It's one of the weird challenges of stand up is like you've got at most an hour. And by the time you're doing an hour, you're already a defined thing. So when you're learning to do Mi- this sometimes you're a defined thing. You've got seven minutes during which you have to work in a world of cliches. Like you have to take people's cliches and you have to play with them and manipulate them. Well, at the same time, trying to be yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And very delicate balance. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of people who just think the, the challenge of trying to get people to sort of like, there are a lot of people who are stage closeted. And I understand that as like not wanting to have, I do, they don't want to fight fights because that's a lot of work to do in seven minutes. Right. And right. it's also going to close doors. I just don't, why on earth would you do this? I remember, um, I will not mention the name of this gentleman who, uh, he was the first person I ever heard about Wanda Sykes being gay. Mm -hmm. And it was years before she came out publicly. And this gentleman, who is a friend, and I always thought was very funny, is out gay black comic in New York, right? And uh, I just remember him, I, I almost feel like he didn't, he just brought it up out of nowhere, it is sort of a way, but I just remember the sentiment of his resentment of I've just been me this entire time, yeah, and I've struggled to do what I do, and I'm out, uh-huh. as opposed to this bitch over here who is going to come out when it's convenient for her. That's the way that he put it. He's like, then he's going, then she's going to demand our respect yes. and want us to rally behind her, and it's like, well, what the hell were you when I needed you? I, that was his sentiment. I hate that they eventually will get to be on the cover of The Advocate. And I've bounced around in my head about this in a lot of ways. And while I'm not Christian, I think that um, the the story of the prodigal son or the parable of the prodigal son is so interesting because you've got guy with good son who stayed at home and like was a good son to him the whole time. And then a guy who went off, spent all of his money. And then when he comes back, you slaughter a fatted calf for him. What the fuck? <laughs> like, um, but... I do have to remember every time... This is rum springing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, he went out into the world. 
and and when they come back, it is always a beautiful thing. Like we get a Wanda Sykes now, and we didn't have Wanda Sykes was lost to us for a very long time. But it's sort of the question. It's one of the reasons people are very derisive of homosexuality as a minority status is the whole sort of like you can hide it. Why not just hide it? Why do you have to talk about it? Uh, mm. Anytime we compare, anytime why well, shouldn't speak in generalizations. There is always a danger anytime I compare our civil rights movement to the black civil rights movement because people are very ready to say it's not the same. Yeah, and I get that. And uh, I always extend it to the fact that I think at some point robots will have a civil rights movement. <laughs> I really, I mean, I really believe that. Yes. So it's like it is and it isn't the same. It's the same because it's the civil rights issue of the current time. Yeah. As the black rights movement was the civil rights issue of that time where it was a critical mass of this cannot be denied anymore. And I think that's what's happening with, well, it's been what's happening for the last 20, I'd say actively 15 years. From my 15 years, it's been an active issue in the American brain of gay rights. Let's be honest. Gay marriage is an issue. Like it's a, it's a civil right we invented 15 years ago. Like before that, it wasn't consciously on anyone's minds. Here are the things I'm going to say. You know, in 1955, mm-hmm. um, what had gone on in Germany against the Jews, that was a real civil rights issue. <laughs> you people were fine. Maybe. Like, you, you could, like, uh, no. In hey, uh, It's all relative, man. It's all in, relative. In To Kill a Mockingbird, there's this great moment where uh, their teacher is telling them about how horrible the Holocaust was, and Scout is sitting there being like, what the fuck? Don't you see what's going on around you? Um, arguments that we can oh well you guys can hide who you are mm-hmm. um is like i was having a conversation with louis katz and um <laughs> louis was like uh, uh, you guys can hide who you are and then the wonderful thing about uh louis is that he always comes out with these very very strong arguments and is being a dick about them but is smart enough to undermine his own argument while he is making it and then is like Oh yeah, you won't get beaten up as long as you like emotionally cripple yourself and deny your basic desires for your entire life. And that's a bad thing. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the fact that you guys like just visually all have to be on board with one another to some extent gives you a real advantage in being able <laughs> To um to earn your rights because we're visually on board with each other. I mean, I love that phraseology. And also, it's not entirely true. Like, it, when anytime someone says, "Well, you, you can't just pretend you're not black," and I'm like, "Tell that to Mariah Carey in 1993," and she would be like, <laughs> "I can't do it." Um, <laughs> but like the the fact that we are invisible makes it a weird thing where we always have the option of denying it, where we always have the option of just not fighting this fight of depends. I I mean, like as, as, as uh, ignorant as this will sound, um, it, 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 I didn't understand until I was in college that there were, cause I actually went to a high school that had the, uh, uh, 
that was actually okay to be gay. Yeah. And and in some ways cool to be gay. Mm-hmm. I went to a performing arts high school in Las Vegas. Yeah. Which was just referred to as the gay school by anyone who didn't go there. Uh-huh. And they're just like and I remember being asked not it, with no irony by kids that didn't go to my school, don't you have to be gay to go to that school? Like they thought that was that was part of the school. So like, yeah, you have to come out of the closet and then you can go to the school. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. But it was cool to be gay because um, it was a performance arts school. So a lot of the times, stereotypically, some of the best performers yeah. were gay. And then some people would uh, pretend that they were gay. Like some people who were really not gay mm. would be like, well, you know, I don't know. It's questionable. Like they were playing that mysterious game, even yes. though there wasn't a quote unquote gay bone <laughs> in their bodies. But. I think in high school, some people were experimenting in a way that that people save until college. Yes, um, which which I think is kind of incredible, and I guess in some sort of ways, I totally forgot the point that I was trying to make here um, was that it was cool to be gay, but then there's something about that. Oh, this is what I was going to say. It wasn't until I was in college that I realized the different levels of gay. Uh huh. Right, because in high school. By all intents and purposes, people were playing up their gayness, uh-huh. right? And people who were acting gay, gayer than gay, gayer yeah. than maybe they actually were. And it wasn't until I was in college that I met people who were out of the, out of the closet gay that didn't act in a stereotypically gay manner. Yeah. That I was like, oh, so you can be like this and you're totally gay, but I can't like just look at you and be like, oh, well, he's wearing, you know, all pink or some association that I already learned in high school about what gay men are like. Yeah, go ahead. Couple of points. A, the fact that people really like basketball and adopt black sense and, you know, are super into rap doesn't make it less terrible to have to deal with the shitty parts of being black. You know what I mean? Like, right. there are a lot of white people who tell you how black, like... Who tell you, constantly trying to prove to you how black they are. Yes. Um, I'm blacker than you, the, the, my least favorite phrase I've ever heard in my life. Also, like, I'm... Uh, I recently went into this, like, thing in my head about when Toni Morrison said that Bill Clinton was the first black president. It's kind of awesome, because, like... Maya Angelou. Oh, was it Maya Angelou? I think it was Maya. All right, that makes it more okay because I have more respect for Toni Morrison. Um, <laughs> but now I gotta look it up. <laughs> um, Either Toni Morrison or Maya Angelou said it. But, but go ahead. The point is, is like here you have this amazing woman who has done so much to contemplate Black American identity, mm-hmm. f- uh, feeling so impoverished that she thinks this is the best she's gonna get, yeah, and actively saying it to this guy who. I mean, if Barack Obama has taught us anything, it's how easy Bill Clinton had it. Like, how much he was still able to play right. the old boys game, how much he could still sell people out. And, like, o- Obama is doing everything by the rules, trying to be a nice guy, and is getting fucked over left and right by people who just won't play ball with you him. You mean by the left and right? Yes. Boing. Um, and there's something so awesome and so terrible. We can go upstairs and talk to them about this. Um, it's totally fine. The, right, right now, someone up, upstairs of Guy's apartment is playing. I don't know what the fuck. Really loud. It sounds like a radio. 
Yes. Just like I, I hear radio commercials, so hopefully that's not going into my speakers they're, or my uh, microphones right they're now. They're pothead bass players. Okay. Um, but I just love that she s- said, this is the best I will get, and then 16 years later, 12 years later, whatever it was. She got what she was going to get. Yes. Um, and I just love that she would have came out with the quote, like, nah, he's not really that black. <laughs> I still think Bill Clinton was blacker. Call me Bill. Because uh, God knows I just have to understand, like, however much people love to say, oh, it's better now, it's easier now, blah, blah, blah. Like, we're just not going to have a gay president ever. We have... In our lifetime. Yes. The first gay senator happened this year. Like, first black senator happened in the 1860s. Admittedly, they went away for a while. (laughs) Um, and and there is this problem. I, I there don't... are a lot of gay people on the uh, in the House and the uh, the Senate this this uh, after this election. There's someone I really like named Kristen Cinema. Have you heard about her? Uh, Openly bisexual, bisexual from Arizona, and her name is Kristen Cinema, which is like and it's spelled S I N E M A, like a porn name. Yes, but that's her real name <laughs> is Cinema. Um, no, it was. It was very exciting and also, like, I think identifying as bisexual is the hardest thing for anyone especially to do publicly. If, especially because gay people hate that. Yes. <laughs> I have learned. I've never heard more meanness about bisexuality than I have from gay people. Well, also... It's like, fucking pick! Like, because we're just figuring out what we are, mm-hmm. and it is hard to explain to people, and it's hard for people to understand... I think we always have the presumption that anyone who's calling themselves bisexual is doing so so that they can slide out of this problem when they right. need to slide out of this problem. Right. Um, and that's the that's the problem is creating something. When you were talking about the people in high school, mm-hmm. the issue is who's going to still be gay when it's hard and bad? Because <laughs> yes. it, it is hard and bad every day. You're fair weather gay. Yes. And the thing is, is you have the option of turning that off. Like, you have the option of turning that shit off. I hate when little straight boy comics tell jokes about how everyone thinks you're gay. Not everyone thinks I'm gay. And I'm super gay. Which means I'm constantly having... (laughs) It's like, why do people need to know? And, like, it's not that they need to know. It's just that it it does affect the way that I go through my life. Like, it does affect my perceptions and also sort of, like my interpersonal interactions in a way that something like race doesn't because it means my group dynamics with a group of women, my group dynamics, like with a group of men, it's going to be different because I perceive these people differently. They mean different things to me, you know? And you're saying that I don't do that or you're saying, I mean, I do do that. Okay. I I mean, I have a totally different group dynamic with depending on who I am. That was middle school. Okay. <laughs> I am talk to me about that. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh well, uh well, okay. So, mm, whoo, blah, 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 boing. The thing is, no, it's just that like I saw that there were I guess I guess in middle school for me it was about the, all I can try on different jackets. Uh-huh. That it was like it was a, a chameleon kind of thing. Where it's like, if I'm with these people, I'm going to act like this. Yeah. I see that. I see what this group's priorities are, how they talk to each other. And when I am with them, that is how I will talk and act. Yeah. And I will act like those are also my priorities. Yeah. So that way I blend in. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when I'm with this group, different. 
And I that was middle school. I felt like I had four different personalities that I had. Uh, your joke about um, there are stupid people who speak with like good standard English and there are smart people. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I love that something that's very new. Um it's a it's a it's a very good joke. It's reflective of the fact that I just think of you as being like a a good, like funny, like smart, but also selling it hard comic. And um, sometimes too hot. Watch out. <laughs> but like uh it just pleases me so much that you are able that you make the choice to talk about stuff like that as opposed to like that you're fighting those fights while not being the guy who's just fighting those fights you oh, know thanks um i <laughs> I, I wish uh, it is my goal to find a balance like that i think i think that you're you definitely are there in my opinion let's not just blow each other here no okay? i know but i'm saying that like look i'm not going to have you in the podcast if i don't think that you're actually interesting and entertaining right what what are you gonna say oh when i said let's not just blow each other yeah um like notice how I didn't get uncomfortable. I didn't even think about the phrase. Uh, w- <laughs> we don't think about the phrase, but there, um, there are all of these like constant little terrible things that are terribly misogynistic, that are terribly homophobic, mm-hmm. that we don't think about. Like so many people will stand in front of me and tell me I don't mean gay that way. Um, right, because they'll say that's so gay bad. and stuff like that. Right, and like it's hard and weird. Like you guys don't think about. I've never been to a comedy show where homosexuality wasn't discussed, mm-hmm. but I've been to a shitload of comedy shows where no gay comics were performing. And generally, when I'm at a comedy show, I'm performing. And that's one of the things is that it's sort of the number dynamics, which you guys also... This is very objectifying. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Objectify. We can discuss. But like, um, I do think we need to have a different set. We, we need to have a different way of talking about like injuries to identity like it needs to be less like you're racist you're the worst person on the planet because we because every movie since 1985 has defined racist as being the worst thing you can be on the planet we now have no way of talking about racism as a thing a person does it's only something a person is and the most evil person which means you couldn't possibly you couldn't possibly be objectifying susan rice for her race um, in in like discourse about uh, Benghazi because that would mean that you were the worst. So you must just be doing it for perfectly logical reasons. Mm. Um, hmm. It like I was reading this book about. It's a really good book by this guy who writes for the New York Times, talking about basically figuring out that his son was gay when he was like four years old, and being like, "What should we do to like handle this right?" And he he tries as hard as he can. Um, and then his son still handle tries. it. Handle it right. What do you mean? Just sort of like he was going to try to ungay him. No, no, no. Oh, quite the reverse. But like understanding that their child was going to have a different journey than they had had, ah. and be like ready for that and ready to face the issues that were going to happen. <laughs> there, does that exist? Does that even <laughs> exist? No, it was it was terribly wonderful to read about these good, awesome parents. But like when the kid finally ended up going to some sort of you know teen gay center in New York, it was a thing where. If you offended someone, they just said, ouch, and you said, oops, and then you kept going. And I feel like <laughs> that's awesome because we now – you feel like you're not supposed to raise the shit that bothers you because people are going to think you're that guy. And then if somebody does raise it to you, you feel like you're the most awful person on the planet. Um, and Well, you know, um, you know Nick Cobb? 
at all? No. Nick is a New York comic that just, just, just moved here like a couple days ago. Um, we did a series of uh, colleges in the South once. He's from the South. He's from like a Nashville area, I believe mm-hmm. it is. And um, no, Memphis area. And uh, I, this was right after I had gotten really sick. I had Bell's palsy. Where the left side of my seriously, yeah, the left side of my face just didn't. Roseanne work. had that when she was a little girl. Did she? Yes. Well, she turned out okay. <laughs> I she probably got it for similar reasons. Was it mold? No. Is that why you got it? That's how. That's one of the things. Like when I mold, toxic mold can do ridiculous things to you. That's and I got sick. Crazy. I didn't understand why I was sick because it was like it was it was a sickness I'd never experienced because it wasn't a cold. I knew it wasn't a cold because I didn't feel like achy. Yeah, but it it felt more like allergies because my throat was really closed up and I felt really like congested. But like it it felt like it was all in my head as -hmm. opposed to the entirety of my body. And I didn't understand it. And uh, it was because I was reacting to mold in my my room, my bedroom in specific. Yeah. And then I to recover is in New York. So to recover from me being sick, I just stayed under it in my bedroom and then it eventually evolved into the left side of my face just stopped working. Oh, God. And I noticed it because, you know, I always make I make faces. And I, I remember I got out of the shower and um, I think I was brushing my teeth or something. And I just noticed that my mouth wasn't going up all the way. And that I noticed that my eye was kind of drooping. And I started making faces and I saw that I had less control over the left, left side. Like it was like an 80%. Did you have insurance? No, no. I just went to the emergency room. I went to the emergency room. I asked him what, what the hell's going on. Uh, they gave me a little test. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 that's Bell's palsy, which I'd never heard of. I just heard palsy. And I was like, what? And they told me what it was, which is that it's essentially a trauma to your – it was a trauma to my face. And basically this ner- – I've got some nerve damage because of a reaction to something, which after that I figured out it was like a reaction to mold. And um, it will repair itself. And it will probably take like two, three weeks. Did you move? Did you sue your landlord? I moved. Uh, I refused to sleep in that bedroom. I did move. I had a, a friend named Dustin uh, Diodato. Uh, him and his now wife, I think they were engaged then, had a guest bedroom in Queens that they let me uh-huh. like crash in for like two months while I found another place. Uh, and then I was collecting pictures and stuff to put together some sort of case or to figure out some sort of thing. Um, but I think my roommate didn't believe me. He thought I was making it up as an excuse to not pay my rent and yeah. to leave without giving him any notice. Uh, and I had canceled some gigs, because, but I had to take the, all these colleges in the South because I needed this money. Yeah, it was, a, it was a perfect storm of bullshit. Because you can't do your job if you're getting up there. It's like half my face was working. Yeah. So what, what ended up happening is they cleaned it all up and like painted over it. Because there's, there's no standard for testing for uh, testing the air for mold. There's no standard. Basically, if you have it, you're supposed to call the EPA, yeah. and they'll be like, oh, okay, we'll send someone to take some samples. But the the leak that was in my, my ceiling of my apartment, they painted over it, and they cleaned up all this stuff that I had been saving, so that way I could give it to the EPA to test it for mold. So ultimately, I don't really have any proof that I really got this from mold. But I think I got this from mold. There's like no – because I've never experienced it ever again. It's the only thing that was abnormal that I had this leak that suddenly went away. And I looked up how mold happens, and it just fit all uh, – everything fit perfectly. And I'm like, this makes sense. So I had to – I wanted to prove it. And then my roommate threw everything out, 
and the, uh, the landlord came and like the landlord fucking hated that guy. Um, what was the point of this? Mold cases are good money. That's the thing. The, but you know what? It's it's one of the biggest things that people don't address because people don't don't know about it. Yeah, they think about it. Oh, it's that thing on bread. There's right. like all this different kinds of mold that yes. can do all this different kinds of shit. Um, no one takes it seriously. It's just like bed, bed bugs, which is a real scourge in the city of New York. We live in California. It's not a problem. Well, we it's because people, when they went to bed, their parents said, don't let the bed bugs bite. And it's always thought, oh, that's not a real thing. And when you told someone, oh, I got bed bugs, they're like, you, you, did you go to Narnia? How did you, what is, what is that? It's like, no, it's a real fucking thing that is a scourge in the city of New York, which now laws have been passed that like landlords have to take care of that shit because they ignore that shit. New yes. York is just full of slumlords. They don't want to do shit about fuck. Well, there is something terrifying about my best friend just moved to California from Los Angeles or from New York mm-hmm. and hearing her talk about the like separate governance of Brooklyn through old Italian men that ah. goes on yeah. and everything. It was just so nice growing up in California where like no one cared enough to be doing that much to interfere with politics. Like, <laughs> Yeah, just, that's New York history, man. It's yeah. gangs in New York. It's we're, a Scorsese film. We're run by soccer moms and dentists. <laughs> and sometimes they're the same. <laughs> uh, anyway, the point is, after all that stuff, I, went, I did a bunch of colleges in the South uh, with my friend Nick Cobb because he could drive and I could not. And uh, he, we were just having all sorts of conversations, great conversations, listening to comedy albums. We were, I remember listening to uh, – I had already heard it. It was Paul Tompkins, uh, Paul F. Tompkins. Yeah. Paul Tompkins. Oh, I forgot the F. No one's going to know who I'm talking about if I just say Paul Tompkins. Uh, impersonal. Oh. And there's that um, – the bit about the, uh, the peanut brittle – you know the bit I'm talking about, the peanut brittle and the steak jumping out of the peanut brittle yeah. can and him just dissecting the ridiculousness of that prank mm-hmm. and who is the person that would be fooled by such a thing. Yeah. He basically becomes the character of this guy who has no suspicion of peanut brittle in a can, of course, yeah. as it is commonly found in all of grocery stores. And we laughed. We, I mean, we were on some weird fucking road and we were laughing so hard we had to pull over in the middle of nowhere because he couldn't drive anymore. He was just like, oh, I can't steer. I have to pull over. We have to stop laughing. We had to get out of the car, take a couple pictures. Anyway, we were having some great conversations, and he said this thing that I told him is a brilliant piece of stand-up. And I don't know if he ever did anything with that, about it. And it's just something he was talking about. Like, um, He was talking about being a white guy in the South and just like you know, knowing all sorts of black people. And you know, he's, he had black friends and walking around. And just like when he would get – uh, white slurs yelled at him. Uh-huh. Like people would be like cracker, honky, you know, white bread, whatever. He thought they were. It was just. It was just funny. He. I, it's like I know they meant to hurt my feelings. Yeah. But it was funny. That doesn't bother me. But if you call me racist, that bothers me. You can call me cracker and honky, but if you're like you're racist, I'm really gonna be up at night being like, oh my god, am I? But the thing is, is like there's there's nothing behind cracker like oh cracker that means i'm part of the group that got to be president always like <laughs> that means you know i am pro- probably smarter than everyone else like um you know however however much we're like oh things are great things are awesome good for you gay guys mm-hmm. you you can have a parade and not be scared that someone's going to throw rocks at you Let's remember, we still have free states and slave states. Like, we have, I don't get booked in the South. You know, like, I, I can't go to the South. Dude, I was surprised. I did so many colleges in the South. Yeah. And I, and I was, 
I was, I'd never understood. First of all, there are great people in the South. There are great audiences in the South. Yeah. But I also never understood. But I, there was always this, this uh, because it's college, yeah. right? I went to college in Boston, which is, I always refer to Boston as. No, Boston University. Okay. I know. It was one of the comics that didn't go to Emerson. Good for you, though. Um, I always refer to Boston as the most beautiful segregated city yeah. in this country. It is, I've never made, I, all I can think of is like Baltimore yeah. is, more, is, as, is more segregated than the city of Boston. Yeah. But I was in college, yes. which is a fucking bubble. So I didn't, it wasn't until the summers and college was out and I was in Boston trying to work and going around to these different places that I saw the segregation and how divided the city is. And it's so like stacked on top of itself. It was very weird. I went to Berkeley, which is in college that, of music in that way. Or UC that, Berkeley. UC Berkeley, okay, okay. which is the collegiest of colleges in that yeah. way. And historic, historically uh, so. Yes. Um, and then I went to law school at the University of Minnesota and it took me a good six months to realize like, oh, no. Shit's still terrible for women. Like, um, like seeing my my female friends and like the stuff that they were encountering with getting jobs and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh no, gender equity. Like, oh, we've got this figured out. Things are fine. Um, and then I I got there and it was you got cool. out of a bubble. You got out of the bubble yes. of Berkeley and you saw that there was some other shit. Um, that is, I think, really when you think about it. Um, 80, the 80s, late 80s, yeah, is really the beginning of people moving as a normal thing. Uh-huh. For that's work, very interesting. That's very interesting. It's not really, like, it's like you basically just were where you were, and that's yeah. where you were. But it's like me and my mom moved from New Mexico to Las Vegas because there was work there. Yeah. And there was not as much poverty. And when you think about it, like, our generation of, of youth we're the first ones that it's like it was just so normal for us to move everywhere. Yeah. And we've just we've taken that too. Like we I think it's important to move now. But I don't know, because it's like there's something about concentrating on finding that exact group of people that know everything you know and like everything that you like, that the skill set of of learning to deal with people that aren't exactly the same as you yes. is slowly dwindling, which I also think is important. Um, it's you guys. You made this point um, in in the in the Canaan, um interview. It was it was very interesting going to Minnesota because I was like, oh, we all watch the same television. This is all the same country now. And going there and sort of shockingly, like never. <laughs> Never before having been more myself than mm-hmm. being surrounded by these people who were so different from me. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Just because one of the beautiful things about California, and it's less true in Los Angeles because you have so many Eastern transplants here, yeah. is that everyone in California was so reprocessed by 200 years of traveling across the country that mm-hmm. by the time you get here, you don't really have tribes in the same way. You know? Yeah, yeah, like, okay. Everybody is just sort of doing their own thing, and they're they're terrible. They're not cooperative. Um, you you don't have like every town doesn't have their own little band and their own little like um, summer theater production and stuff. Okay, everybody's just doing their own thing. Um, but then I went there, and everyone was Minnesotan and responsible and all of that. But like, I was a Californian who was crying and talking about my feelings. Um, and they didn't know what to do with me. It was very funny. Um, <laughs> I didn't come out until law school. I okay. came out after my first year of law school. And I was talking to my friend Kate um, about 
oh god this is so embarrassing it must have been like so obvious to everyone and she was just like guy you were just so different from everyone else that it never crossed our mind that that was the thing like there was just there were so many other factors hmm. there which i suppose is one of the things that like weirds me out about like people who are critical of me for dealing with homosexuality too much in the stuff that I do because it's not like I just take for granted being very specific like mm -hmm. because it's not like when it's not like I am satisfying your expectations of what a gay guy is I mm -hmm. don't have ripped abs like um I'm not you know look at my apartment this is not a beautiful place I do it's not, actually not bad. I, I, I do not know. dress well I am nice. not clean it's pretty nice um and like I've always been terrible at being in groups like i'm just i'm not like my interests lie in a different direction than than most of the people i know mm. I, I don't sort of like everybody's able to get on the same board about like what music they like or this or that and i've always just been such an outlier that a i take for granted that it will never be a problem that i am too much being part of a group um and b it is so goddamn satisfying to get to be around people who are to some extent on board with me mm -hmm. that like I can't begrudge it. Yes, I live in the middle of West Hollywood. What are you doing, guy? You have to live in the middle of West Hollywood? No. Um, when I went, I, I did uh, Chico State, which is very close to where I'm from. Mm -hmm. uh, did a, you did a show there? Yes, a couple of months ago. And it was weird because I'm terrified. I'm terrified of audiences near my home like i yes i'm able to drop references to things that are local but i also just assume they're not gonna like me because yes yes okay no one from there liked me right um oh when we were talking earlier about the indian girls in my hometown mm -hmm. uh during the presidential election everyone from my hometown was talking about what a terrorist Obama was and how he was terrible and trying to steal from them. Okay. Except for Rupee Joel. Um, like ex ex the Indian girls were the only people who were Obama supporters. And that's one of the reasons I am able to have that kind of nostalgia for them. Anyway, I was there Chico state. I was at a bar and a bunch of baseball players before or after the show, after the show, so after the show went well, show went well. And they love me up there. Um, <laughs> The people and, you were terrified. Oh, they love me. Yes. Uh, well, I'm a comedian. Um, and and I was also able to drop the local references. Anyway, a bunch of guys walk in. Hot guys. And I'm just like, you're not allowed to look at them here. Like, he, here, however much it's cool and we have performing arts high schools in Las Vegas, we still live in a world where me being sexually attracted to someone who has not been clearly defined and labeled as a homosexual is an offensive act and not just like offensive like it is a physical violation you're not allowed to do that hmm. um you you are this is what's going through your head as they are walking in yes jesus christ um so much pressure so i'm like you can't do that here like they're adorable you'd like to look at them and we like it, it it's just sort of it made me realize i live in west hollywood not because I want to be weird and different and gay. I live here because it's one of the few places on the planet I can live and just be normal. Like, just have my reactions. How about comfortable instead what, of normal? Um, 
I'm never normal. Is that way? I'm never going to be normal. No, normal is a, normal is a big word. I mean, you just feel a level of comfort here. Well, but also my reactions to a given set of circumstances are going to be an expected reaction to a given set of circumstances. Mm. When hot guys walk in somewhere here, mm-hmm. we're all looking at them. Like we're all understanding that's a sexual object. Like, oh, look at that. You're it's, allowed to do it. It's not a dangerous thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not going to end in fists. It's not going to end in fists. Uh, or at least not the bad kind of fists. And also, you just can't, like, I realize everybody's head gets fucked in a number of ways by a number of things that different people can't understand. Mm-hmm. But I also think because faggots look like everybody else, you don't understand the extent to which your head gets fucked when you're 13 years old of realizing my, like, everybody's a little bit scared of their sexual blossoming. Yeah, yeah. But, but for us, it's terrifying. And being able to get over that to the point of having something like normalcy. Again, it's a big word. Mm-hmm. Um, n- normalcy in our relationship is, like, God knows I haven't done it. Like, God knows I haven't done it. And some people do it so well you mean in a have a relationship yeah just finding normalcy in a like romantic relationship just being able to have a relationship and and the trouble with me is like i think about things too much and i break them down too much but i feel like you're always trying to get around like you us feeling at a base level like homosexuality is wrong means that you're either terrified of admitting it or dealing with it or the set of categories you're applying to a man that you want are all about the things that you think are wrong or right about this. Mm. Like, you know, you you say that about um, you didn't realize that there were gay guys who could not seem super gay. And I, I was always used to the performers. Right. But I also think there's something terrible about... <laughs> I'm not, not saying good. I just, I worry about people defining away people who are faggoty because some people, because some guys are faggoty mm-hmm. and they are still smart and they are still super funny, but all, and like you can presume that they are just being owned by an identity. And that was a, that was a, that was a post-college New York lesson for me. Yeah. A, a very close friend of mine um, who I still regard as one of the funniest people I've ever known is a gay man. Yeah. And I remember walking around uh, New York with him and him saying, I'd, I'd never heard a gay man derogatorily call another gay man a faggot. Yeah. And we were walking down the street and he's like, oh, fucking faggots. Because they were these really queeny, gaudy, like, I don't know, they were, they were doing a show. Yes. And he was like, that's, and I, I, I could feel this, they're ruining it for me. Kind of feeling to the way that he said it. And it's such a it's such a dangerous thing. It's something we've all said. Let me say first of all, when I say the word faggot, it is bragging. Like um, <laughs> it's it's why I get to say it, and other people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Rock doing the bit about their gay I love people black and faggots. People. I, it's basically oh yeah yeah gay people and faggots. He, he, black people and niggas, gay people and faggots. He right. did a bit. Okay, when he when he did black people and the, the other thing. It's a similar idea yes but he did it about gay people and faggots and that pissed me off so hard because he doesn't fucking know he doesn't fucking know i know like if you want to be able to say that like 
you have to have the intimacy of being inside of it and understanding. But also, I think it's kind of a destructive thing to say. Mm. Like, um, one time, okay, when I lived in San Francisco, I drove a Ford F-150. Um, and I was driving through the Castro and uh, some guys were walking in front of me and I said, oh, fucking faggots. Just sort of like, because they were so, like, it, it was out of love. Um, but also this sort of like laughing to myself, okay, guys. Because there's, it's ridiculous and awesome what they're doing so much of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, if you go to the Starbucks a block from me, it's December and you're going to see some nipples. Um, <laughs> and I said fucking faggots and I did not realize I was a gigantic, bald, white guy in a Ford F-150. And people's reaction was, Ugh. But Wait, you were with people? No, uh, like I'm saying the people on the street heard me. Oh, they heard you say that? And they thought I was being terrible. But Did they yell at you? No, no, no. Because oh, they just looked at you like, ugh. No, because we come from a place of fear. Like we come from a place of fear. We don't have uh, Sarah Silverman's joke about the reason she says midgets but does not say the N-word is I'm not scared of midgets. It, to me, that just tells me we need to meet, make people more scared of us. Like my job as a stand-up comedian to make people more scared of us. Do you have a joke about this? No, I don't. Somebody has a joke about this. Oh, damn. Am I doing someone's material? No, I'm just remembering recently hearing something about... Um, uh, maybe, maybe it was Ryan Singer. I can't... Or somebody having a joke about if, if gay people were scarier in mm-hmm. general then there would be this respect that's bestowed on them. That's very funny. I don't remember who it was. Like, it was just like, yeah, I'm gay. No, fuck you and your dick hole, something like that. Um, but the point about Chris Rock that I think is interesting is the notion that, um, I think we have a notion that like blackness is essential, but that homosexuality is transitional. Like, or, or that um, I feel like because it doesn't, because it doesn't directly affect the way that you look, mm-hmm. people think anyone could potentially be gay, mm-hmm. which means we're all allowed to talk about gayness. Mm-hmm. Um, or anybody could, like, you could choose tomorrow to stick a dick in your mouth, and then after, th- but that's not how it works. And then after that, be like, ah, it's not for me. But, like, um, the thing is, I do maintain, if anyone is willing to admit that they have had a dick in their mouth, they are allowed to say faggot, including women, because I think that homophobia is just a subset, like, <laughs> of... Like, is this a joke? That's good. Yes. That's good shit. Of, of gender bias. Um, and any, wo- any woman who wants to deride me for being a gay man has so many issues. Like, make fun of me for sucking dicks or, like, taking it. Like, um, if a woman wants to make fun of me for that, she has enough issues going on in her head mm-hmm. that that's not my problem. But Chris Rock does not get to tell me who a faggot is. Um, and we have, like, that... Well, you don't know if Chris Rock's had a... Uh... Chris Rock won't admit it to any... Like, <laughs> I'm not saying that he's gay, but I'm saying also, like... The assumption is that, of course, he's never. Well... The assumption is he's, he's, and he's talking about this. And- I have seen stage-closeted guys say the word faggot on stage. Okay. And that... Is bothersome. Gets me to a point of, anytime someone says faggot on stage who is not an admitted homosexual, or as I've said, a woman. Uh, it's a dangerous word. It's like the N-word. It is a word, any word should be used. Our, our language is a beautiful thing, and it is there with richness. 
I do not have the proper training to use the N word. Like it is, it is potential. I love that. I do not have the training to use the N word. It is a word. That's true. You haven't been through the schools. It is a word. The tests, the obstacle courses. It is, it is a word that can potentially hurt people. And I don't want to hurt people. Um, I've, I tried to work out a joke and could never figure it out, but it was basically like, there, it's like gun safety. It's like a six-week course. You go Tuesday and Thursday for three hours a night, and an esteemed black poetess talks to you about <laughs> African-American experience. And then at the end, she gives you a certificate. You say the N-word, and she punches you and says, people are still going to probably punch you. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, here's a couple things. Um that I want to kind of get more into uh, this, the question of what, what the hell is it that you believe a gay identity is? Because I know that you, look, I know, I, I think that we're similar in the way that we, uh, basically the way I've always described it is if you are not a, a straight white man, you are niche in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. You're that black comic. You're that gay comic. You're that gay black comic. You're that gay black female comic. You're that Asian female Muslim comic or something like that, right? And, as a, and you have to fit into that niche in this sort of a way. And as a writer, there's something really weird and interesting about, A, I'm not just concerned with gay identity. I'm now fascinated by identities in a number of ways, specifically the ones that um, do, in trying to understand myself better, I have become more obsessed with things like, uh, <laughs> like the blues and <laughs> uh, like sort of dealing as a group with being shit on and kind of sad mm-hmm. or like with the way that black people are treated as frivolous and not necessary and not like good at things that make the world go, but good at things that entertain us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just other things because there, there is something weird about I, it's not that I like labels. I'm trying to figure out how to get, out of labels while still accepting who we are. And as a writer, it's so interesting because you can't write about anyone but a white person, probably a man. Like, I end up so frequently writing stuff about girls because it matters to me and people still treat women like they're not capable of writing. Mm. But, like, there is that thing of, like, Right now, if you're pitching a sitcom, you're supposed to be pitching your story. Right, now, right, right. Which is fine if you're a white dude. But if you're anything outside, or a white lady, maybe. But if you're anything outside of that, it's a little bit like, mm, I don't we, know if we put that on television. And we already have one of those. Exactly. Um, and <laughs> that's weird to just sort of understand from the get out. Mm-hmm. No one wants to hear my story. You know? Like, no one... Well, because they're they're because your story still has to be profitable. Yes, it's still a it's still a ad based system. And 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 I have to say, like I get that, I understand. We're trying to entertain America, so I need to respect that. But America's changing. But America is changing, and people don't realize that. Or they they realize it. That's why this is such a fuss in the last election. And also, it's so weird that Twitter has made politics change before tv networks change mm. um but also like 
it, it does bother me that we now all have to be pitching our own story because I don't want to tell my story. I want to write other things that that are more general and for everybody um, that I, are informed by who I am. I have a I have the exact same thing because it's like. I realize that when I come up with an idea for a show, mm-hmm. um, I never think of it as this is something for me to be in. Yeah, it's just this is a story I'm interested in studying. But uh, are you ever worried that you think like I think of myself as a like in in any story I would never put myself in as anything other than a sassy gay friend. Okay, and that is because society has told has, me has decided that that's what you are. Yes. Um, but also, like, I am also too torrential to be in the middle of anything but my own life. Well, um, but what were you going to say? What was the question? Oh, just sort of that worry that you've let, um, that you've let society convince you you're not a main character. Well, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, I feel that all the time. I mean, it's like. Look, like I said, it's an ad ratings-based system, so they, they want the biggest rating, so they have to apply to the biggest amount of people, the largest amount of people, right, which are white people in this country. But the co- And all the niches yes. have been fed that for so long that that is what they are used to as well. Oh, there's the best fucking article uh, right after the L word um, came oh, on. L word. There was a really good article in the LA Times by a lesbian saying – it's hard for me to watch because I'm not used to seeing myself represented on television mm. or in any media. She's like, I'm so used to vicariously identifying through other people or things that when I watch this, I just keep saying, they're not like me. I'm not like that. Yeah, but it, but it also speaks to the fact that there's there was literally nothing else. It was like kind of queer as folk. There were two lesbian characters, right? I never watched Queer as Folk. Well, my friend, I, my friend that I was telling you about made me watch it because there was a, a alum of our theater school that was on it. Uh-huh. So I've seen a episode. I never watched the British one. I didn't know there was a British one. I hear one. it was very good. Uh, I hear it was very good too, but it also speaks to, and I got into a big conversation with my friend Mandy about this, who literally I have this conversation that we're having with her all the time. She is a, uh, she called her, used to call herself a Gaysian uh-huh. uh, woman in the, uh, in the East in Boston. Um, that we talk about all this stuff. She, I, I, I never, I hear the word heteronorm- heteronormative in every conversation we've ever had. She will say that word at some point. Oh, that's just, but um, she just recently watched Queer as Folk, uh-huh. and she's basically watching all this television from the last decade. I have to pee really, really bad. Do you have to pee really bad? Uh, Guy Branham has to pee. We're taking a break. Pee break. Guy Branham is back from the bathroom. He's sitting down. How do you feel? I feel refreshed. Okay. Okay. Here's, here's, here was my, what my friend thought was interesting about Queer as Folk. Just in terms of like, it was, it was wrapped around a conversation about the L word and Sex in the City as well. Now, I have not watched Sex in the City or Queer as Folk. I did watch the L word. I was curious about it. I ended up watching it. Then there was a point where I felt like, I maybe it was I, I felt like it was like the second or third season of it. Kogan would come over and we'd mm. watch it and mock the shit out of it. Uh, and basically, all those shows point to a dearth of that kind of show yeah. on television. And uh, is that the right word? Is that I the right word? I never remember how to use dearth. A dearth, a lack. Yeah. That there's just this and nothing else. Yeah. The there's a void of that kind of programming. So. She saw Queer as Folk as very 
fascinating because number one, just where it fits historically, like she just talking about like um, how it represented the pro uh, the priorities of gay culture. That it was it was a show about a bunch of awful people who were extremely well off uh-huh. in Pittsburgh, yeah, a city that you don't think of as having a vibrant gay scene, and so they were extremely catty and shitty to each other, and it was about youth. And fame and fortune. Those those were the priorities of those people in that show. And of in course, Pittsburgh. <laughs> in Pittsburgh, where it's just like it's even more exaggerated because where the hell where the hell else are they going to go? Yeah, you know, there's like a gay club. That's the way she said it was portrayed. That she perceived it portrayed in the show, where it's like they have to go to the same places, hide their homosexuality from other people in their lives, and then it exaggerates how they're trying to deal with it. Because at first she was offended by it, but then became more and more fascinated by yeah. what, she, what it was teaching us, what she thought it was teaching people, how it reflected what was going on in gay life at that time. And then, look, basically it's like television monogamy <laughs> in a sort of a way. When there is only one show yes. that is the representation <laughs> of that lifestyle, that show will inevitably and inaccurately and ineffectively Try to be representative of fucking everything, and you can't be. And people put it to that queer as folk was not going to accurately depict gay life in America. It just can't. One show cannot do that. Same with the L word. It was about, and I remember the the controversy because I remember like the third season, you started seeing background uh-huh. that looked like real gay women. Yeah, because it was like, oh, these are all. This is a story about gay women. One, two of them are actually gay. Yeah. Everyone's fucking beautiful. What the fuck? But also, it's like, every, one show can't do all of they that. They went to a lesbian bar that looks like no lesbian bar in existence. Like every lesbian bar has a pool table. <laughs> I feel like I remember there being a pool table. Um, I never really watched it. A um, couple of things. Yeah. I, um, it's one of the things that fascinates me most about contemporary black culture is or, or um, the way that you, or even more uh, Asian American culture, having to cling to the very few representations that you've had. And also when you realize somebody else watched a TV show or a movie in a very different way from you because they saw somebody who was like them and then that meant more to them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I remember one of my friends in college, her dad, like, big obsessed with Nancy Kwan because, like, there had been one, you know, like, one movie star right. who was what he was. Um, and that's interesting. Uh, Cosby Show. Nancy Kwan. Uh, Nancy Kwan was, she, yeah, she's... Chinese American uh, actress um, from the '60s who got to star in two movies. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, I was doing it. I had switched to Asian Americans by that point in time. I couldn't remember any good examples of like just when when black people hook on like a supporting character or like um, a movie means more to them because there was a significant supporting black character. Um, or something like that. This is sounding terribly terrible. I know what you're talking about. You're just saying that that there's a dearth yes. of representation, yeah. and there's like three things to pick. Yes, and it's like that maid or Sydney Poitier. Yes, <laughs> and then those are both important to you. Well, and the Cosby Show was very interesting because it was 30 years ago, and it did such a good job how, of forcing us to understand normalcy from yeah. like it was the family sitcom, and there's something. America's favorite that like that yes. is what was it Time Magazine or something yeah. it was a, but Bill Cosby 
face America's favorite dad. Yes. Not America's favorite black dad. Right. Dad. A black man. America's favorite dad. And like the the rareness with which you like you just get to feel like you're never the dude. Like you're not like you're none of the lettuces at the salad bar. Like you're like pickled beets or something. And maybe people like you and maybe they don't, but like you're never gonna be like the heart of the deal. You know what's weird about the Cosby show? Or or I always I was jealous that that was not my life. Uh-huh. That, that was not my family. Yeah. Now that I know and I and I feel like the Cosby show in a deeper sense is extremely representative of of of, of black America in this yeah. way that we had a show that was about a extremely well-off, well-to-do black family, a, a doctor and a lawyer with all these kids that have no concept of what their parents had to go through to give them this fucking cushy-ass <laughs> existence. Oh, that's the whole point of the show. You don't know. And they were trying in their fucking darndest to, look, here's Lena Horne. Look, here's B.B. King. Look. Here's Aussie Davis. That's your granddad. Go to Spelman. Go to like all these historically black colleges. And now I feel like I am a person who saw that family grow up. And now as an adult, I am surrounded by their children. And I'm like, you fucking Huxtables have no idea how fucking easy you had it. And I just want to punch them in their fucking faces. Well, we're in L.A. We're surrounded by white Huxtables, too, which is the worst. Every time the Cosby show would make essentialist arguments about what blackness was, it mm-hmm. was the awesomest thing. Because it's like 98% of the time we are being just like you in the most bougie and regular of ways. Mm-hmm. But then there's the episode where everyone dances. And it's... Baby! Yes. Night and day. Or... Baby! Like when, when Claire went to like get the painting that her ancestress had painted. Um, and... <laughs> It was just these awesome, awesome moments of, like, giving you just, like, after we have forced all of America to watch us and all of America to be on board, then coming to the point of, like, this is ours. It was beautiful. And there's something so lovely about having been a white child who watched that just because I know it is infinitely easier for me than my parents for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. to just see a black family and be like oh black family you know like a family right um and it's lovely about uh queer as folk um <laughs> there are a few points to be made uh depiction of gay people uh, or gay men as caddy um i think is interesting uh and i think it's co- something that comes from living your life at somebody else's party and i realize there are other, a lot of people live their life at somebody else's party but just the fact that like you know, we don't get married, we don't have children. I realize these things are possible now, but for all of history, until 1998, these things were not possible. Like, mm-hmm. these things were not, and if they were happening, they were not culturally cognizable. Uh, and I feel like that leaves you in a situation to just be snarky. Because if you're at a wedding reception where you don't know anyone, you're just going to start talking shit about people. <laughs> uh, okay. Um... um I mean, not all of the characters were catty, as far as I know. Yes. And I think that in, in each essence, as far as I know, the show is extremely dark. That the It was always a self-hatred that manifested itself. And it's, you know, it's impossible for any of us to get away from self-hatred. I f- like, I feel like if you are a member of, like, 
a less visible racial minority in the United States where you have a country that is your own. You maybe don't have like the psychological weights that, you know, descendants of slaves <laughs> or women or gay people have mm-hmm. of just sort of like, like this is a culture that has always had to have us in it, but has always had to have a way of controlling us. Mm-hmm. And the way of controlling us, you know, is fucking with our heads. Women and black people in America, women always and black people in America have had to be visible and were like considered economically necessary because who else is going to clean up the train cars? Right. Um, but for us, it is a matter of breaking us to the point where we keep it all inside. When Mitt Romney held that guy down and cut off his hair in uh, in prep school, it was like a story that came out a couple of months ago, and it was not a big thing, but it, it got me hugely because it was an act of violence. It, it was an interesting moment for me for realizing, oh my God, I'm reading this act in a completely different way than the way everyone else is. Mm. Like, um, I am seeing this act with, like, both the psychological perspective of this kid who in high school in the sixties was daring enough to do something a little bit fabulous with his hair. Cause you can't indicate to people that you are gay. Like you must externally indicate if you want to meet another gay guy. And that in chopping off his hair, it was saying you play by our rules. Like you are alone. You don't get to signal uh, who, who you are to that someone guy else. just had grinder. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the, God, I do. People love talking shit about how good gay guys are at finding anonymous sex, but I love that it is like pure boy sensibilities. It is defense department technology. Um, <laughs> like it is us nerding our way to dick. Um, <laughs> That's the name of your first album. <laughs> nerding my way to dick. Um, like, and it was just like, it was not a thing. Oh, also you were talking about it being so, so bar centric. People like to talk shit about us being bar centric. It's the place that we've got. Like, well, also it was it, the the show takes place and was filmed in a time where everyone didn't have a fucking cell phone yet. Yes, you know what I mean. So it was like th- you you just had to show up to places. Well, people and people to me like when I was first coming out and whining a lot, they were like, "Well, you don't why why are you meeting guys at bars on the internet? Why don't you just meet them anywhere?" And it's like, Cause they're, yeah, because. Anywhere, I don't know that they're gay unless they're being super faggoty. Most people in Minnesota aren't being super faggoty. And, like, there is always, even sometimes guys are super faggoty and they're not gay. And, like, you have to understand that if you're, every time I, like, Hari Kondabolu is, like, one of the smartest, most politically self-aware people mm-hmm. on the planet definitely in the comedy community mm-hmm. um and so that's a that's a very high compliment i i adore hari i tweeted at him do you miss me um and he like sent back a, a direct message i was like oh it's been a while blah, blah blah and it was just like, oh hari i was just flirting with you and he was like oh it doesn't even matter to you that i'm straight and it's like he he did not do he didn't do anything wrong. He did, I'm, I'm not insulting Hari Kondabolu. It was just this situation of like me having to like manage, like the like letting him know, no, I, I don't think you're gay. 
Like that that wasn't what I'm You meant flirting like in a more innocent way, just like saying hey. Like, not like I'm actually interested in you. Right. Like but like my play flirting has to be surrounded by all of these things. And like I have to like be worried that I might be hurting someone's feelings, but also aware that I'm hurting someone's feelings by implying that they might be like me. And like you know, being able to huh. say, I, I get who you are, but also like who I am isn't bad, and also and, and like I wouldn't. I would uh, knowing him, I would think that he because he's a very sensitive man. Yes, and I remember getting this conversation with him once about this this joke he had the uh, the feminist dick joke, mm-hmm. and doing it in Seattle. And he came up to me. Oh, I can't remember. I think someone came up to him after a show. It was after we we had done Bumbershoot together, and he had that joke. And he said something like, the phrase was, I am a man uh, that happens to have uh, a penis and testicles. Yeah. And he told me that a uh, transgender person came up to him after a show and was like, I'm, I was really offended by what you said. Yeah. That you're a man that has penis and testicles. That's not the only way to have, to be a man. Right. And he's like, no, no, no. I meant, I, the way I said it is I'm a yeah. man that happens to have. Because yeah. I know that. I'm yeah. trying to accept that. And it's like, well, I just want to let you know it hurt my feelings. And he was obsessed with it. And he was talking to me like, I, I, I just feel like I just hurt this person. I didn't want to hurt this person. I'm like, dude, you can't – like you, the joke is from your own perspective. Right. You can't spe- – you're not speaking for a transgender person. Yes. And you can't speak for transgender per- people. That person doesn't speak for all transgender people either. Yes. That person's speaking for themselves. And I think it's important in this age of racist is the worst thing on the planet and racist being sort of like our default for all – discriminations based on privilege because it's the United States and you know a third of our people were property for a while um well you know a, a three-fifths of a third <laughs> you have to multiply that um, um oh I recently had the realization like they're like oh you're trying to redefine marriage you're trying to redefine marriage and I was like hey after watching Lincoln I was like we redefined human beings and it turned out like those household appliances were human beings the whole time. So maybe these have been marriages the whole time and we just didn't realize it. Um Ba-boing. But like thing is is like you can try to be a nice person who went to a touchy feely college who understands things. You can make best efforts to understand things, but you also only get your game. You don't get everybody else's game. And like so I like I have to realize the various ways uh, you and Hari were talking about um uh, gay people who perceive uh, transgender status as being a, like a misunderstanding of homosexuality, a very like structural understanding of homosexuality. Um, and that was actually like something I thought for a while. And then like I did sort of have to be like, however much I don't get transness, I need to understand that I don't get transness. I'm a gay guy. And like, their deal is their deal. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if I can talk and try to understand it, like that's a good thing. But, but also understand. Yeah. And, and this is me again, trying to come. That, that comes from a conversation with my Gaijin friend I was telling you about. That yes. She was just like, it's based on gender roles and but gender stereotypes. She, that's her opinion. She, I'm not saying I believe she that. She and I like, would probably get along really well because actually we, you would, we seem, <laughs> she seems deeply analytical um, and like pushy, uh, which is what I look for in a woman. Uh, but like, it's, it's good to not have so much ego that you think, oh, I've got it figured out. 
oh, I'm super right. Because there are, uh, there are totally times when I'm like, guy, you're a fucking white guy. You don't get to feel like you understand these things that well. Okay, here's something. This is something I want to ask you about because it's something I have noticed in myself. Uh-huh. And I want to get your opinion on it because this is the kind of shit you think about. Um, so before I said that, like, you know, when you're not a straight white male, you're a niche. Yeah. And I have seen uh, when I was in New York through just all the different, you know, play, uh, like just the different scenes that I traveled through. Because uh, I think that you and I may be alike in that we feel like we're alienated even within the group of the alienated. Yes. Um, sometimes I feel but like Baron, when you're... you're so adorable. Okay, calm down. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes I feel like... I'm just going to... See, Hari, sometimes it's just play. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, man, man. I'm so not good at that. Um, okay, so this is what I meant to say. Uh, sometimes it feels like, and I remember I was, I was, I had met this woman, uh, who was a gay black woman, uh-huh. right? She had a, she, um, was relatively militant. Uh huh. Had a white girlfriend. Yes. Um, very interested in, in black culture, black issues. Yeah. But kind of keeps herself separate from black people. Uh huh. And I saw what I felt was she was, a gay black woman. Those are three different things that have their own different groups. Yes. That don't necessarily intersect. Yes. And she maybe got to this place where, and I've seen it, I think, a couple different times where she's like, I have to choose which one I'm going to be. Yes. So I could either be gay or black or a woman, and she decided to choose gay. And her group was this diverse group of people, but all gay. So she, whenever she grew up, if she ever was hanging out with a group of people that was all one thing, it was a bunch of gay people. Yes. But she was never hanging out with a bunch of women or never hanging out with a bunch of uh, black people. And it was like, I saw what it seemed to be, and I've seen it since, and I've thought about this, that sometimes when you have those different groups that are all kind of moving parts, that you kind of, you can't be in all of them because they don't all understand each other. Yes. So she had to choose one to, to choose as high, her identity that she was going to practice as a lifestyle. And she chose gay. I think we do, however much you would not like to, I think people do end up selecting a major identity, even Mm -hmm. if it's nerd or whatever. Like, you have this thing that is what you put forward first. Um, And, like, that's a bad thing, an unfortunate thing. I, I... I wonder if it's what I do, but it can't be what, like, but there is something weird about the minute you get in that group of gay people, you're not gay anymore. Like, you're just who you are, and and your other identities start coming to the fore, which is very interesting, except sometimes you'll be in a group of gay guys, and, like, one guy will decide he's the gay guy, and that's weird. (laughs) Like, ugh! Um, not that, dude, I totally make that sound sometimes. Okay, um. Okay, would you like to hear my official stand on on gay black men? Okay. There are three kinds of gay black men. Uh Uh-oh. There are gay black men who are black and not gay. Um, They are out to almost no one. Um, They have inappropriately close relationships with their mothers, uh, and they like to have sex with me. Um, (laughs) Frequently played football for, like, a state school. 
Um, you have black gay guys who are gay. I mean, that's your standard like DL guy that you can. Right. Uh, you have black gay guys who are gay and not black. You know, polo shirts, like speaking standard English, like just being gay and it, having a, a distance and uncomfortable relationship with blackness. Then you have black gay guys from the future. Um, this includes most dancers in New York, but you, you have those guys who are able to find like nexus of identity where both of these things are being respected. Um, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a woman who tweeted at me who was, she was a black gay lesbian. Um, she was a black lesbian. Uh, and she was also a super sci-fi nerd, which was an interesting sort of like combo cor- corner to be in. Um, but she was arguing with me about, oh, I had made fun of Queen Latifah. Um, and she was like, don't, you don't have the right to do that because Queen Latifah kind of came out and then like went back in recently. Um, and she was, this woman was basically saying, I identify more as black because I feel, because gay people are just so ready to reject me. Um, mm. because gay people are, are super judgmental and we are like, are, are not a supportive group. Um, and, but she was like, I can't tell black people I'm gay though. And I was like, don't you get that yeah. if you can't tell black people you're gay, that's just the exact same thing that you're saying, except you were raised with them. You grew up with them, which is part of the thing that's hard. One of the weird things about hom- like the weirdest thing about homosexuality is how late acquired an identity to be something that is a very essential identity you don't really figure it out until you're like 13 or, or something like that. Um, and it's weird. And it's mixed in with being 13. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, it's terrifying. And it's mixed in with this group of people who you're supposed to identify with are also your sexual opportunities. Like um, when you are black and you go to church, you are, it is my, like, you're just there at church. Like, we're at a bar, getting drunk, trying to fuck each other, getting pissed off that the guy's hitting on me and he's not attractive enough, or getting pissed off that I hit on this guy and he didn't like me back. And so there's, like, damaged egos all over the place. So mm-hmm. how the fuck mm-hmm. are we supposed to, like, like each other enough to get marriage rights? You know, how are we supposed to, like, um, support each other? And Gay marriage? I can't think of a gay man I could just be friends with. Am I right? <laughs> Who's with me? Oh, and and that's something you totally go through because also we don't have anyone to teach us how to do this. And uh, like people are like, you don't get taught how to be black. Fuck yes, you get taught how to be black. Like um, one of my really good friends was, uh, she's black, but was adopted by white people. Um, and it's just Whoa. a whole range of confusion. Mm-hmm. About, like she feels very self-conscious in groups of black people. Because she she wants to have some degree of like she is physically black, but she does not know how to like give the cultural signals that she is on the right page, which always means black people think she's trying to act better than them when in actuality she's not exactly clear what she's supposed to do, and like we just have to sort of like figure this out like and, and like, I'm sure your mom instantiated some sense of political responsibility in you, some sense of, like, this is... Her friend? Your friend? Mom? No, 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 you. Me? No. Really? Like, I, 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 most of what I have is self, 
discovered. Uh, and my grandmother, it was a combination, but like my mother in my youth was, uh, was, uh, uh, very hard. We, we, we had a hard relationship. <laughs> I'll leave it there for now. Uh, Debbie thought I was great until I had the nice long talk with her in 1999. Ooh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, it's, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. What? What? Go on. You're there. You're it's on the you're on the tip of it. I mean, you're talking about this woman. The, you're talking about blackness being a taught thing. Well, I mean, I'm just saying no one's there to teach you how to be gay. You kind of have to discover it. I and I do agree that like blackness is taught. Yeah. There look, it's just that wherever you grew up, that's and that's that, that's the that is the biggest that's the reason I think that's the heart of, of miscommunication is what you've experienced in your life, you believe is universal. And yes. when people don't do that thing, you're like, wait a minute, but how are you? Everything I know is. It just is. Um, two points about that. A, it is terrifically valuable that I grew up Jewish in a like, place where we were the only Jews that we knew. Um, it meant that I had had some degree of, like, I had been politicized to some extent. I understood that, like, Judaism was a thing that I could hide and there would be times that it would be valuable for me to hide because all of my family, like we're from Arkansas. You, my, my grandmother honestly believed if she told a human being that she was Jewish, someone would show up at her house the next day. Like when my grandma was a little girl, they burned her house down. Like, mm-hmm. um, sh- and I sort of understood that there would be dangers and difficulties that go along with this, but like it is something I need to make clear and external because the more people have to see Jews, the more they will understand that Jews are a normal thing that happen. And it's the same thing with gay people is that if we are visible and you, like my music teacher growing up was a lesbian and she was there and she had a woman that she lived with, but we weren't allowed to acknowledge it because if we were allowed to acknowledge it, that would have made it okay. Like I was surrounded by gay people living lives, but we had to make it so specific or not acknowledge it like the guys who owned the flower shop that my mom worked for they were the faggots the guys who lived in the orchard behind us two doctors lived in the orchard behind us um they were also called the faggots um and there was a lot of talk about how scary and weird they were with lesbians you just pretended like they were roommates um but about universality one of the terrible things about um about gay men white gay men is we were white men for a while. Like, we tasted all the promise that America has sweet, to give. Sweet, sweet nectar of privilege. Yes. And then it went away. And that leads to a lot of things. It leads to people who want to still have that. And want to still have that by being closeted or want to still have that by fucking guys but still playing the white man game because the white man game works for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also means that... <laughs> Which a lot of them go into government for some reason. <laughs> yes. There's something about being a closeted, uh, self-hating homosexual. It's like, I want to I wanna have some more power. Uh, I, uh, I think that government is the closest they can come to musical theater. Like, it's, <laughs> it's performancy. It involves costumes and stuff like that. Um, Getting on a stage. Yes. Well, there's something wonderful about um, it was just great me realizing you can never be a congressman, Guy Branham. Like, and now we have gay congressmen, and it was, like, narrow-minded of me then. But there was just something awesome about, like, you can't work in this world the conventional way. Now you have to go do the thing that you love. 
and I have friends who are who are like sh- straight white guys who are like actors and stuff, and they're, oh God, if I had just been a lawyer in North Dakota like my dad, like I could be all respectable. Why did I have to have dreams? And like, I that's why gay guys end up so frequently doing these frivolous, lovely things. We're we're told that we're frivolous, but also we're not gonna have. We're not gonna have children. Mm-hmm. We have to kill God if we want to, you know, have sex with a man. Like, there's no afterlife Jesus. left for you in a conventional understanding of any religion. And and that's one thing I think people maybe don't really wrap their heads around is we are evil in a way that few other minority groups are. Like, look, God knows nefarious black people and even from a religious perspective my grandma branham was very sure that you had um been made from a different substance than uh um, we the race of cain yes <laughs> um and were inherently nefarious and evil um but like we have to carry this thing of like you have to pretty much restructure a religion if you want to have inclusion for homosexuals in a way so like those things being the case, we have to make right now nice. Like, all we, like, for faggots, we just have now. And so, might as well make it pretty. Like, might as well stage design it. Might as well figure <laughs> out exactly the right pace for the couch. Might as well infuse that with lavender. Because, like, this is what you've got. Um, mm. And there are ways that that is terrible and terribly destructive but there are also ways that it is awesome. Like I very fundamentally believe like the, the the word that was applied to us is the word for happy. Why do you apply the word for happy to us? Um, and happy in a frivolous way. And I think it is because we, we have taken the exact opposite tack from the blues. Like we have said, shit is terrible. If I thought about how terrible the shit was, it would overwhelm me and it would be horrible and I would destroy myself. Mm. So I'm going to listen to pop music. So like I, I am, <laughs> I am going to make myself happy. Um, it's almost, it's almost kind of the, like, uh, it's similar to why political hip hop tends to not be uh, listened to by black people mm-hmm. on a whole. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I don't want to remember my damn problems. But let me hear about the rims well, yes. and the cash money and the hoes. And that's why it, it, I hadn't actually thought about it in terms of rap. Like I never fucking thought about the blues until I was listening to NPR when I was like 27 or something. And I, I listened to um, this guy, Howlin' Wolf. Howlin' Wolf, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, you just said this guy, Howlin' Wolf, like I've never heard of him. Well, I, I don't know. Wait, who? To, Howlin' Wolf? To me, he was a discovery. Okay, 300, yes. 300 pounds of fun. Like, that has some meaning for me. Okay, all right. Um, but, uh, it, like, I was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. They're all depressed. Like, I had, it had never crossed my mind. Like, there's just a base level of depression, like, culturally. Mm. And that is impossible to wrap your head around. Um, but I, I had not thought about the extent to which the, the bolstering that goes on in rap, which everyone thinks is that's what's wrong with young black people, is they just think that they're supposed to go be rappers and have private jets. None of them are going to dental school. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, and, like, you know, it, it is your life 
is terrible. Like if your life is is terrible, and and not every black person's life is terrible, but every black person's life is a little bit more terrible than it would be if they had the exact same identity, if they the exact same situation, but were white. Hmm. Mm. Shit. It's getting deep. <laughs> No, it's supposed to be. Well, it is deep shit. It is deep shit. We're, we're shitting so deep right now. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a weird thing that I saw. Yes. Once upon a time, and, I, and I'd be interested in your take on this, and um, my Gaijin friend, uh, we, we talk a lot, we've talked a lot about like evolution and, and you know, anthro and sociology and stuff like that. And uh, evolutionary biology and psychology are extremely tricky um, fucking uh disciplines because they because and also we were talking about because she believes and i agree that um evolution in a general sense people misunderstand it yes and i told her that it that's important it's more important knowing understanding the misunderstanding because if it's what people believe as a whole then it's what people are moving forward thinking is true and they're acting accordingly with that being uh the truth Right. Yeah. So I saw this documentary when I was in England. Um, it was with a gay friend, and we uh, I was watching it. And he happened to come in the room, and it was a documentary about uh, gay animals. Mm-hmm. Right, because I was going to say that you're you're talking about this frivolity and and uh, that gay and I and I just thought of that like gay is the word for happy. It means yeah. happy, and maybe that's why there's this intrinsic thing that people believe that it's a choice. That, you know, that uh, it's a choice to be happy. That's like, this is what you've decided to do to pursue this kind of happiness. You don't have to. You've chosen it. Right. Right? There, there is completely an element of choice to practice homosexuality. And I think that... There's a choice to how you practice it. Well, it, there is a choice to practice it. Like, um, I was closeted until I was 23 years old. I did not have sex with anyone until I was 24 years old. That's an option. And that's an option that people have taken. And also, we have this weird way... You chose to be abstinent. Yes, you can choose to be abstinent, or you can choose to fuck a woman who you're not attracted to if you can get it up long enough to do that. And we've had a property system that needed people to do that, so people have done it for a very long time. (laughs) Um, It's weird because... We like to behave that gay people were invented in 1973. Right. Um, that there was no one before that. Like, there was Oscar Wilde. Like, fucking Michel Foucault asserts that there was no gay identity. Like, people just, oh, you you fuck women sometimes, you fuck men sometimes. It wasn't really a thing. There was just the crime of sodomy. The Gaysians obsessed with Foucault. Uh, well, of course she is. We're friends. Um, and, like... I think that it's a gross disservice to behave as though there weren't people who were more attracted to the same sex for all of time. And also, let's remember those laws needed to be there for a reason. Like, mm-hmm. all of those laws are there to to stop us from fucking each other because it doesn't help with the property system. It doesn't make more babies. Um, and it's weird. Look, I don't make evolutionary sense. Well, look. Again, this 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 has to do with the pro- the property system isn't evolution. Yes, it's it's a it's a it's a means in which we have adapted, in a sense. But it's it, there is the argument, and many people argue it that 
this system, the property system, the dog-eat-dog survival yeah. of the fittest, which is not something that Darwin ever said, thing is evolution. And I agree to the extent, to the extent that we've adapted to a system we built. Right. But it wasn't – the system isn't intrinsic to our, to our internal system, yes. to our biology, if you will. Uh, let me first say uh-huh. I do completely get the Richard Dawkins arguments – that like homosexuality should not be an evolu- if you an evolutionary thing at the most basic level because it removes us from evolution like if you fuck somebody who is of the same sex of you no babies are going to come out which means that, that your genetic profiles are removed which means we've only been kept in the game by doing the thing which is directly counter to what our inclination is okay so what the fuck are we if we're not built out of a genetic imperative let me tell you these two things um first off that is a hard thing right because that does it goes back to the uh the thing that we're supposed to make babies yes and that we're supposed to do it in in a pair bonding system Mm -hmm. but it totally negates the tribal mentality uh, it, it totally negates foraging tribes, which there wasn't this um, pair base unit kind of a thing in a sort of a way. That is an agricultural reaction yes. that we've had. When it became about property, then it was like, well, I have this and you don't. Therefore, I'm rich. You're poor. Yeah. I don't want to marry your daughter. And it must go to my children. And it must go to my children. To my but, son. But before that, and, and there's this other book I, I've, I've been reading called uh, Marriage, A History. Uh-huh. And um, which she says the the that like the only thing that you can get from marriage that you can't get in any other way is marriage in the history of the world consistently. It's the only way to turn a stranger into a relative. Uh-huh. That's the only thing that marriage does that nothing yes. else does really. But because she's like, oh well, then you can have babies. It's like people fuck their brothers and their sisters and they have babies. I'm yeah. not saying it's right. You know, I'm not saying I agree with it, but that's happened. Uh-huh. Um, but. That said, she said something about like a husband and a wife, the inception of marriage. Those were jobs. Yeah. That wasn't uh, – now it's like a thing that we do. It's like, I right. want to get married. But she's like, that was a job within the structure of a tribe, yeah. that these people paired off to do these jobs. And so that way everybody made it, not just the two of them, yes. but all these other 50 people that they were with. And she said that. And in a lot of these societies, there were gay marriages. Two women could be together. Two men could be together. It was not looked at strangely. It was only looked at strangely if they both did the same job. Like if both of them were doing the quote-unquote woman job, yes. then it was weird. It was like, well, that they're not doing. But if a woman was like, I'm going to be a hunter, and then she married a woman that wasn't that, then it, was looked, it wasn't nobody bat, bat, batted an eye. Um, yeah? Uh, I, we need to talk about marriage. Like, in depth, but Uh-oh. let's let's talk about um, evolution a, a little bit more, more before that. I am confused by this thing okay. a lot because uh, I've read Dawkins. It makes sense. All things being equal, ability to participate in evolution, you directly, makes the most sense. Why on earth would there be this thing that pulls you out of evolution? Well, that makes sense. Because this is what the this is what that documentary I saw is about, but I'll let you continue. Okay, um, but then you see it in these social animals like sheep, like bonobos, and 
like human beings don't make any sense for a number of reasons, but it mainly just comes down to we have fucking enormous brains. We have enormous brains that do ridiculous things. Our system, Baron Vaughn, pays you to be amusing. Like you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything to contribute to the material wealth of our society, but we've created a system that keeps you going. We commit suicide. Human beings make a choice to die, to remove themselves. People kill themselves to remove themselves from the evolutionary game. And I think it just comes down to, oh, and also when you're talking about genetic imperative, Mm -hmm. when you have identical twins, one of whom is gay and one of whom is straight, that's interesting. Like that's very, very interesting mm-hmm. um, because it means a bio- either one of those people is psychologically masking that biological in- inclination in some way, or there are post-genetic factors which have influenced it a lot. In recent reading, I've seen more stuff about like a mom's body's reaction to the more sons you have, Mm -hmm. the more likely you are to have a gay son. Um, Mm -hmm. And possibly that it is an immune reaction of the mom's body to having like a foreign thing there, which doesn't explain lesbianism at all. And also it's hard for gay people to hear to be like, my mom's body tried to make me go away. And that's why (laughs) I'm gay. Like all of these things are sad for me. It just comes down to group dynamics matter for us. And we have huge, huge brains mm-hmm. that give us such subtle and complex reactions to um, to the world around us. And that the stuff that, like the genetics that are in my brain, while removing me from evolution, are such a valuable set of things to be in my sister and to go to my niece. That even, it, it's like sickle cell. Like in that sickle cell is that that weird um, like genetic problem, which in some cases provides so much of an advantage, like not being not getting malaria Mm -hmm. um, to some people that the fact that it kills some people off um, is fine. And so from like a purely genetic perspective, I have to think that like like it is only complex social animals it is sheep it is dolphins it is like bonobos fuck constantly because they are rich like chimpanzees that live in the mountains the other chimpanzees right don't fuck as much because they, they have they kind of do though they have a harder time finding food but for bonobos well, the one book i read that's all i know is the one book i read <laughs> was basically like which book is that uh peacemaking among the primates okay um, and its assertion was that because they live in a richer environment, they are more frequently having to negotiate um, plenty. They're having to negotiate plenty and figure out who's going to get what. And like they they do it by, oh hey, like we're coming on to like all of this fruit. Instead of us getting into a fight about who's getting the fruit, I'm going to give you a hand job. And then we're both going to go have some fruit. Um, and Which is kind of how more we work. Yes. <laughs> As a society. I interrupted you, though. What were your... Well, here's this thing. And we'll... we'll I, I, 
because along with that, this documentary I saw was was studying the what they felt was the phenomenon of gay animals, and it was specifically sheep. I remember a lot mm-hmm. about a gay sheep uh, that they studied the brains of it and blah, blah, blah. And the, the commonality, and this is what my friend said who was sitting next to me, was uh, homosexuality occurs in species in which the numbers have become too big. Mm-hmm. That it is essentially a way of curbing the numbers because they don't have children. They're genetically not going to uh, reproduce, so it keeps the number controlled. And my friend was like, great, I'm nature's crowd control. Which I think is a very sad way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a way of looking at me that says, um, I'm not necessary. I'm, I have described myself in past as an evolutionary cul-de-sac, um, <laughs> which is unfortunate. I prefer to think of it as the minute we started having enough brain space for culture, um, we became God. Not we became God, but just sort of like we got bigger than than the basics of evolution. Like more stuff came into play than that. Like we have a number of things that remove people from, you know, uh, eunuchs, the Catholic Church. Like we we remove people from evolution in any number of ways because we're organizing ourselves in, in more complex ways. I don't know that it's necessarily the f- like homosexuality occurs in very, very social animals because they don't need more animals. I think it's maybe because they have group dynamics that they need to organize. Okay. Um, Cause I totally disagree with that thesis of the documentary in, in general. Because uh, like when you look at, uh, let's look at two separate things, the Catholic church and like primogeniture, primogeniture, this notion that um, all of your wealth will, you have to have a son so that you can give your wealth to your son. So things will keep going because um, I'm I'm sure you understand this. Some people maybe don't, but um, in most species, the man is very, very attractive and the woman is very like boring looking because of the economics of reproduction that a man can have lots of children and a woman can only have like any human being like 40 children max. Um, but thing, things switched mm-hmm. with, with human beings once we were able to acquire wealth because if a man can acquire a great deal of wealth, then he can ensure that his children are way, raised like well and properly. And so women started competing for male attention. Um, and so like wealth started like like being part of this game property of yeah like property and the ability to transfer property to your children became important in being able to ensure their success so we had a system that really needs people to reproduce in heterosexual relationships so that your property can remain with you and keep your line going and blah 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 and for the sake of that like one of the great things about ruling monarchs is we have all of their lives on record. And so you see a lot of fucking faggots um, ruling these country and fucking that French lady until they get a baby out. Right. Um, but giving a lot of duchies to the boys who are taking care of them. I'm talking about Edward II right now. Um, <laughs> but then look at the Catholic Church where, by and large, people were removed from, like, removed from, uh, like, 
evolution so that they would be impart they were supposed to be impartial they were supposed to be removed from things gay guys get asked to perf- and women i'm sure get asked to perform weddings a great deal a lot of comics do as well um but gay people i think get asked to perform a lot of weddings because there is a way that we are these sort of like intersex shaman and i'm kind of fine with that <laughs> wow okay that's a good that's a good that's a good notion to end on. <laughs> You're an intersex shaman? Well, just like um n- not actually like physically intersexed, but just sort of a person who which side uh, which which side am I going to be on? Mm-hmm. I'm probably better friends with not always, but in many cases I am better friends with the wife than the husband, but the men are supposed to stand behind the husband and the women are supposed to stand behind the wife. We totally know gay guys who have been bridesmaids and, and all of that. Right, right. But for some reason, it just makes more sense for me. I've performed like three or four weddings. To perform an actual wedding now. Yeah. Um, I've only done one, so. I... And I think that that's interesting. And there's, I'm very interested in gay men paying attention to women's things. Because so frequently women's interests in our society are considered like frivolous or unimportant or stupid. Nobody likes rom-coms. Nobody likes pop music. Reality TV is bad. Um, And I had a conversation. It was very funny. Like with Louis Katz, he and I were talking about it. It was after Nora Ephron's death, I became obsessed with why don't people respect romantic comedies more? And he was like, you biologically are more like a woman. Like Louis has always been biological imperative of homosexuality where I was more like, no, it's magically complex and does have elements of choice to it. Um, which we're not allowed to say. Um, so he was like, you're biologically more like a woman. My friend, Rebecca, like very, very vocal feminist is like, that's just the best model you have for a gender minority. It's the only minority, like it's the minority that's like you, so you think you're supposed to be like that. And then it like crossed my mind. No, it's just that women are human beings and I don't have a good reason to hate them. And I, I, I feel like so much of it does come down to like, like we're girlfriendy with girls because they're just so pleased to have a man, somebody who has privilege, treating their interests like they are valid. And we may feel uncomfortable in masculinity because i mean and in many ways we are comfortable in masculinity fuck knows i played football i loved it i miss it but also there was an element of those political interactions that were charged differently for me that didn't make sense to me because hotness like these are the boys who (laughs) who i want to like me which which makes it weird um but you know, so much of it, I think, is we're just able to treat women like people instead of treating them like she has a pussy. Oh, my God. Yeah, those those the gender dynamics are different. Yes. So it's like and uh, this is a idea for a joke I've been working on about why I actively pursue friendships with gay women uh-huh. that I've called myself a like the a lesfez. Yes. Like the opposite of a, of a fag hag. That is just <laughs> kind of a lesfez like the hat. Oh, like you're like, why is that there? That's how people <laughs> react to me in a group of lesbian women. But it's because are you, are you comfortable with the euphemism Dutch boy? Is that a you thing? Uh, Dutch boy? Dutch boy. I don't uh, know what that means. You're always hanging around dykes. Ho! No, that's a, Is that a real thing? It's a thing, yes. I, you just changed my life. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? And, and, and uh, 
ultimately, and I'm trying to liken this. That's what I'm trying to figure out because it's like I there's a big part of me that does believe perhaps my grandmother was was gay, mm-hmm. and um, and I've been trying to figure out a way to talk about this without mocking her, yeah, or mocking gay women, uh-huh. and so I'm trying to wrap it more into my own interpersonal workings. And the funny thing to me is I am looking for my grandmother in gay women that I'm, I'm drawn to, to, to lesbians that remind me of my grandmother in some sort of way. Yeah. And it's cause it's not all lesbians because all, cause they're all different because they're fucking people. Yeah. Some of them I get along with some of them I do not. And the ones I get along with the most are very nurturing and there's something kind of family ish yeah. motherly about it. And then there's also that other element of, and also, my penis is not on their mind. Yes. So I never have to think about them in this way of, or I, I assume that that sexual dynamic is just never going to be an element. And so I assume a level of comfort yeah. that maybe is or isn't inappropriate, that it's just like we're never going to like see each other naked or even think about it so I can just be familial with you. It's one of the reasons I like playful flirtiness, normalized playful flirtiness with straight guys so much um because with gay guys it's like they terrify me like it's it's scary and all of that um and i do like dudes you know like you you i like women but also like the company of men yes but it's not it doesn't always mean that it's going to be sexual and uh, like i it's why i like having a normalized relationship where we can acknowledge the fact that like like you're where i'm not having to defer to your right to not be sexualized in any way because straight men cling to that a lot and it's a privilege that people don't think about Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. like with uh with totally biased totally biased is a really good show and it's one of the most diverse writers rooms um ever but I came to a point where I realized when Janine was the only female writer, I was like, no one in that room is sexually attracted to men. Like, um, mm. and they did a really good job. But there was only one point when it came up and they did such a good job. Cause fuck knows. They're all great San Francisco people of like in some way making a joke. It was something about sexually objectifying a man and they made a good joke about it. But it, I came to a moment of like, um, Oh, that's a little bit weird that there's nobody who's was it a panel piece. I mean, was it a... Go ahead. I'm sorry. It was during the monologue. It was just one of his jokes during the monologue. Was it Janine and Aparna's... uh... No, no, no. no. It was Kamau talking. Okay. The thing is, they made the right choice. I just sort of, like, realized there's no one whose gut instinct is to challenge that privilege. Mm -hmm. But luckily now, they have uh, the rich, aggressive sexuality of Aparna and Trilla there uh, (laughs) to make sure that the man folk is being kept in their place. There is a person on that staff that... I he, he he's not. I don't think his title is a writer, is officially a writer, but he is of an alternate uh, alternative sexuality. Okay, and I don't like. But I, I don't know how much he gets to in, in like uh, interject in terms of the writing, actual and, writing and stuff. And I don't know like uh, everything that they're doing. I it's just an opinion. I'm Guy Branham hates Kamal Bell's totally biased on FX. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes. Okay. Um, your mom, uh, your grandmother, <laughs> um, your mom. Okay. Uh. Like, that's the terribly, terribly weird, tragic thing is remembering all of these people who may or... And and when we're talking historically, we're never allowed to definitively say 
that people are gay. Right. Um, when Mitt Romney cut that guy's hair, hair we had to say who seemed gay. And when you say seemed gay, there's just such a a weird thing around it. And it is a truth that is just inside of oneself. Which but is, he seemed gay was enough to the aggressors. Well, and also it it means that we don't have the authority of being able to say that this guy was gay. Of of So a gay person is never present. Like when you say that someone seems gay, A, well, we can't say that he's gay because that would be insulting. B, gay people were invented in 1973. So there were no gay people before then. C, Mitt Romney held him down and called him a faggot. I think he called him a faggot. He called him direct things that implied homosexuality. Mm -hmm. So at that point, he was gay enough to be gay. But then now Mitt is able to say, well, we didn't know that gay people existed. And I didn't know if he was gay. We were just buddies. And that dynamic of being able to say, oh, we're we're buddies now. But then we were not buddies. Like, that it was called a prank. It was always called a prank. Because we're able to rely on a presumption of how male-on-male interactions work. And it's one of the reasons that it so bothered me when I made a comparison to date rape on Twitter. um, And my friend Rebecca, very feminist, was like, no, you can't do that. That is a very different interaction. Like, Because what I was trying to get to was something that would have been culturally acceptable in 1963 that we didn't have words for in 1963 that we now understand is impermissible right and she was like you can't do that that is different and i was our conversation was about me trying to explain to her the way that you were why you were using it the way that you were using it or that 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 interaction was charged for a homosexual man in a way that is not just a woman a heterosexual woman just wouldn't hear just wouldn't see like that she doesn't understand the things that are going on underneath and so it's my job to explain them to her and then um, I said when those police officers pranked Rodney King, Louis Katz, um, being a nice Jew who cares too much about black people, I do not actually mean too much about black people. I'm just making a joke. Um, told me, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's totally different. Uh, that's totally different. And he's like, well, those are uh, like authority figures. And I was trying to explain the way that being able to say, uh, like, A, that that kid had no recourse to authority figures because when somebody beats you up for for being a faggot generally what you are told is stop being such a faggot like that that we especially then we yes that we understand a lack of access to um authority or resources because we're not protected it's being faggoty is kind of like dressing slutty and saying you asked for that rape right right um but what was funny with louis is louis said but guy race is like the definitive problem of the United States. Like this is the definitive question of the United States. And I was like, Louis, this is like, and it's, it's not just us. It's also gender is bigger than that. We've been saying women aren't human beings forever. And like that. And also sort of being able to say like, there have been people maybe like your grandmother forever who were in this and that's so terrifying and that ultimately is there's there's because i know she was a strong woman and she was raised by a very strong woman there's a there's that part of me that believes that she just did her duty Mm -hmm. in terms of the life that she led and then once certain things were in place she was just on her own because she that's what it is it's like i'm i am 
taking very disparate pieces of information, yes. putting them together and being like, maybe this is a thing. And then, and of course, I don't see it as – but ultimately, it's because I wonder if because of my relationship with her yes. is why I have so actively tried to find that in a gay woman. Because, uh, like, maybe that's – this. there was this – there's a certain chemistry that I'm looking for that is reminds me of my grandmother. Maybe I'm looking for it in a gay woman because that's what my grandmother was. Being able to say maybe this is a thing is such an interesting problem with dealing with – you, we are supposed to presume heterosexuality. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, like when they talk about Lincoln sleeping with that guy for a couple of years, sleeping in the same bed with him, the thing that everyone always has to say is there is not enough historical record. Like, and you know, that Edward II got a hot poker, was killed by having a hot poker shoved up his ass in punishment for his homosexuality, that we're able to kind of acknowledge. But there are so many other things where we're just supposed to slide around it, which I think is a terrible, terrible um, disservice. Oh, after seeing the movie Troy um, with a bunch of comics, I was pissed off because they had removed the the gay relationship that is at the center of the of Iliad. Alexan- of- uh, uh, it's the Iliad. Wait, um, what am I thinking of? Oh, I'm thinking of Alexander. Yes. He Alexander the Great, who was... They, uh, in, in Alexander, they did leave in his relationships with boys. Okay. Uh, so but Troy is, yeah. I was, that was the Brad Pitt. I was like, um, <laughs> I was so pissed off about it. And it was funny because I was bitching about it. And Jasper Red was there. And ja- it just so blew Jasper. I was like, why do you think, like... Uh, Achilles cared so much that they killed this guy who was his cousin. Like, um, I, I was insisting that they either went with bachelor friend or roommates. <laughs> um, and I just so remember Jasper saying, man, you killed my roommate. Um, <laughs> and That's something you're going to stand up for. <laughs> yes, um, but it's it's this problem of like, having these people who were lost to us. And one thing in my own family is I don't know because I am so likely to see any marginalization or like problem with gender as homosexuality. Uh, like your, like your Gaijin friend, I think that it is so easy for us to see gender issues through our own heads. Um, but with some members of my family, I wonder if the reason they have such a problem with, me being gay is because their attitude is well i did what i was supposed to do why can't you yes that's a good ending note and i'll just say last i'll just say this last thing this this podcast has been so gay (laughs) i'm gonna call it faggoty